Hey there everyone and welcome back to another episode of Med Talks. I'm Sahu Nachani and I'm currently an FY1 doctor working in the East Midlands. This episode is part of the Junior Doctors Guide series where we are covering the most common clinical scenarios that junior doctors are likely to face at work, especially during on-call shifts. Thank you for your ongoing support so far. We hope you've been enjoying the series and you can check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts now. We would also really appreciate your feedback and we'd be grateful if you could fill out the feedback form in the episode bio after you've listened to this one. So in this episode we're going to talk about one of the most feared scenarios that a junior doctor can face, the dreaded chest pain. Doctor, my patient is complaining of chest pain. An instant shiver runs down the spine. Okay, it's not that dramatic, but it can be scary. So, get out of the rut, and you put your thinking cap back on. You then ask the nurse for the background of the patient, why they're in hospital, what what their current observations are, how they look to the nurse, and when this pain started. Oh, and also, most importantly, make sure you ask the nurse to do an ECG for you so that you can look at it soon after you arrive on the ward. You can also ask them to get a cannulation and venipuncture kit ready for you in case you need to send off some blood tests and this will save you faffing around on a ward completely alien to you at 4am trying to find everything. Okay, so back to the patient. They've got some chest pain. What's going on? Well, you need to assess the patient and rule out the most sinister causes of this pain. And these can be categorised by body systems. The most worrying cardiovascular causes of chest pain include Acute coronary syndrome, so that's a STEMI, NSTEMI or unstable angina. There's also aortic dissection. Then there's pericardial effusions and also cardiac tamponade, pericarditis, acute valvular disorders such as aortic stenosis, which can often present with the acronym SAD, so syncope, angina and dyspnea. And tachyarrhythmias may also cause some chest pain such as atrial fibrillation. The most worrying respiratory causes of chest pain include a pneumothorax, particularly a tension pneumothorax, pulmonary embolus, acute pulmonary edema, pleurisy or pleuritis, which is maybe secondary to a pneumonia. The most worrying gastrointestinal causes of chest pain are esophageal ruptures, and then other ones like other ones that can cause chest pain are esophagitis or gastritis. Other causes of chest pain include sickle cell crises, particularly acute chest syndrome. Pancreatitis may cause some chest pain. Costochondritis, where there's inflammation of the cartilage that joins the ribs to the sternum. Rib fractures. And severe anemia can cause chest pain because of the oxygen supply and demand mismatch. Now, we won't be discussing all of the possible causes of chest pain in depth, but just the ones that we should always rule out during our assessment of the patient. So mainly, acute coronary syndrome, aortic dissection, a pulmonary embolus, acute pulmonary edema, pneumothorax and esophageal rupture. Taking a history, examining the patient, looking at their observations, sending off some bloods, getting investigations like a chest x-ray or a CTPA performed should give us an impression of what's going on. Be aware that this can't happen immediately and sometimes you may even have to start the patient on a particular treatment pathway before even knowing whether your diagnosis is correct and we'll talk more about this shortly. So we go to the patient Make sure they're stable when we get a history. Whip out your best and your slickest Socrates, but make sure you go through the red flags. So these include breathlessness, palpitations, dizziness, vomiting, sweating, weakness, hemoptysis, any leg pain, redness or swelling, 
any recent surgery, particularly orthopedic surgery, any recent travel with long-haul flights. If the patient's been in hospital for a while, they're likely to be more immobile than normal. Any previous PE or DVT. Do they have known thrombophilia? Any history of malignancy? We can explore any risk factors that the patient may have, so a previous MI or ischemic heart disease. Do they, are they known to have hypertension, diabetes, hypercholesterolemia? Are they a smoker? What's their alcohol intake like? Do they have a family history of heart disease? How often do they, do they exercise? Do they have any, any underlying chronic respiratory diseases such as COPD that may make the chances of a secondary pneumothorax greater? We need to assess the patient, so do a thorough A2E assessment. You can find a separate episode on how to do an A2E assessment by another FY1 doctor, Dr. Alex Light. So what kind of signs might you be looking for? Well, an acute coronary syndrome, the patient's likely to have a sharp central chest pain which radiates to the left side, so the left arm, neck or jaw. They may also look pale, clammy, cold, sweaty. They may be nauseous, may be tachycardic, tachypneic and hypertensive. But they may not have any chest pain at all, so beware of the silent MIs, which can happen in patients with diabetes and also the elderly. If in, a, in an aortic dissection, patients may report a tearing or ripping, non-exertional, non-pleuritic pain through the back, which comes on over seconds to minutes. They may be hypotensive as a result of the rupture, they may have pulse disparities in both arms and be tachypneic. Patients with pericarditis may have a sharp chest pain, usually retrosternal, which may be pleuritic. It's often relieved by sitting up or leaning forwards, and it's worse on inspiration, swallowing, coughing, and lying flat. They also may also have a non-productive cough, dyspnea, and flu-like symptoms such as a low-grade fever. Acute pulmonary edema may cause some chest pain, especially if it's secondary to an acute MI. It may also present with tachypnea, crepitations, pink frothy sputum, raised JVP, and pedal edema. For a pneumothorax, there may be sudden onset sharp pleuritic chest pain which comes on within seconds, lateralizes to one side with no obvious radiation. It's non-exertional, there may be hyperresonance on percussion as well as reduced vocal resonance or tactile vocal fremitus and reduced breath sounds unilaterally. And there may also be some tracheal displacement. A pulmonary embolus may cause pleuritic, non-radiating sharp chest pain with some dyspnea, hypoxia, tachycardia, Hypotension if there's a massive PE causing hemodynamic compromise and you should also feel the calves for any evidence of a DVT. Chest pain that occurs during or after food is more likely to be gastrointestinal related, possibly some gastritis, esophagitis or reflux. The most concerning gastrointestinal cause of chest pain to know about is esophageal rupture. Here there is rupture of the esophageal wall either due to iatrogenic causes such as an endoscopy or as, as a result of severe and prolonged vomiting. It presents retrosternal chest pain, which is sudden onset and severe in nature, and the patient can rapidly deteriorate given that the esophageal content leaking into the mediastinum and the pleural cavity, causing severe respiratory distress. If none of these worrying features are present and the chest wall is tender, then it may be musculoskeletal in nature, so possibly costochondritis or a rib fracture. However, you must do everything to exclude the sinister causes of this pain. Hopefully by now you've narrowed down your differentials and you'll need to do some investigations to confirm your suspicions. You've done your A2E assessment and you've made any acute interventions such as giving the patient oxygen, giving them salbutamol nebulizers for a wheeze and also some pain relief. Now we need to investigate. So start from the bedside. The nurse has done that ECG which you can have a look at. And what signs would you be looking for? 
in acute coronary syndrome, you're looking for any dynamic ST segment or T wave changes, such as ST elevation or ST depression. T waves, you may see hyperacute T waves in a STEMI. There may also be T wave inversions, T wave inversion in an end STEMI or an unstable angina. Look out for any new left bundle branch block and any pathological Q waves. Are there any new tachyarrhythmias? The keyword here is new, so you must compare this with old ECGs, if possible, to assess the changes. All patients should have a baseline ECG done as a primary investigation when they first come into the hospital, either in the ambulance or in the emergency department. And this should be kept somewhere in the medical notes, so make sure you compare the ECGs. The criteria for ST elevation is 2 mm or more in, contigu in contiguous precordial leads, that's V1 to V6, and or 1 mm or more in contiguous limb leads. Note that if there is global ST elevation which is saddle shaped, so not isolated ischemia in one region, this is usually a pericarditis picture. For a pulmonary embolism, the most common abnormality on, seen on the ECG is sinus tachycardia, but there may also be signs of right ventricular strain, which is secondary to the pulmonary hypertension that's being caused by the PE. So T-wave inversion in the precordial leads, complete or incomplete right bundle branch block, and right axis deviation. The textbook sign is S1Q3T3, which is a deep S-wave in lead 1, a Q-wave in lead 3, and an inverted T-wave in lead 3. However, this is not seen very often, only in around 20%. On the topic of pulmonary embolism, you should also calculate the patient's well score, which explores whether they have any clinical signs and symptoms of a DVT, is the patient tachycardic, do they any, have any history of PE or DVT, any history of malignancy, any hemoptysis, have they had recent surgery in the last month or prolonged immobilisation for over three days, and is PE the most likely diagnosis. If the well score is more than four, then a PE is likely and so you should request for further imaging to confirm this. And this will either be a CT pulmonary angiogram or a VQ scan if the patient has poor renal function or is allergic to contrast media used in the CT scan. These scans are unlikely to happen straight away and if you know there is going to be a delay, then this should not delay treatment. You must start the patient on treatment dose low molecular weight heparin even before knowing the official result. And obviously, make sure there are no contraindications to this. This can always be switched back to prophylactic dose heparin if there's no PE. If the well score is 4 or less, a PE is unlikely, however, if you still have clinical suspicion, then do the D-dimer blood test. Discuss this with your senior. If the D-dimer comes back positive and high, then you'll have to do one of those two scans to confirm the PE. So you've done the ECG, you've calculated the well score, and you've requested for any necessary imaging to be, to be done. Other bedside tests that you can do are obtaining a sputum sample if the patient has a productive cough, reviewing their drug chart and see if there are any medications contributing to the pain, such as NSAIDs or steroids if you're thinking it's reflux or a peptic ulcer. Also look at whether the patient's received VTE prophylaxis. Now you can also insert a cannula and take some bloods. So do a full blood count and look for any anemia or signs of infection, urea and electrolytes to assess the kidney function, CRP, Again, looking for any infection. One of the most important tests you'll do at this point is serial troponins. So troponin is a cardiac enzyme which will be elevated if there's any cardiac ischemia or infarction. And you'll need to chase this troponin result either by yourself or hand it over to the on-call team. If it's elevated, then serial troponins will need to be done to assess the trend. But be aware that if, the if you're suspecting ACS in a patient based on their symptoms and ECG changes, then you don't need to wait for the troponin to come back before starting the ACS treatment.
You may also want to get a cholesterol level, glucose level, amylase if you're suspecting pancreatitis. If the patient is hypoxic, then you should do an ABG. And you might want to get a D-dimer, as we've mentioned. If you're suspecting a pneumonia or a pulmonary edema or pneumothorax, then you'll need to get a chest X-ray. Okay, so that's the bulk of the initial assessment. You should ideally form an impression, a top differential, request the relevant investigations, make a plan and then inform your senior about all of the above. However, if at any point you are confused, unsure, extremely worried and you just need some advice, then don't hesitate to contact them during your assessment. So now let's discuss some preliminary plans which can then be verified by our seniors. If we are thinking that this patient has ACS, based on the central chest pain which radiates to the left with associated nausea and sweating and new ST segment changes, you've taken a troponin sample and you now need to immediately start the ACS protocol. This will be based on the mnemonic MONAC. M for morphine, this is intravenous, and you also want to give an antiemetic such as metoclopramide, again intravenously. The morphine has a dual function of analgesia and coronary artery vasodilation, which leads to increased blood flow to the heart. O for oxygen, if the patient is hypoxic, otherwise they do not need any oxygen. N for nitrate, so this can be GTN spray or sublingual tablet. If the patient responds to GTN, then this can help you with your diagnosis. If the patient is hypotensive, you'll need urgent senior input about giving the GTN, given that one of the side effects of GTN is hypotension. A for aspirin, so this is a 300 milligrams loading dose, and C for clopidogrel, again a 300 milligrams loading dose, but you should discuss with your senior about this. Essentially, you should discuss with your senior about all of the above. Given that this is a medical emergency, they should probably come to review the patient, and you'll also need to start thinking about escalation plans. So for example, discussions with this cardiology team about the potential for any interventional stuff like PCI or thrombolysis. Also, discussions about whether the patient may need a DNAR form. Date the nurse and about your management plan so that they can get started on administering all of the medication that you prescribed. Because if you don't update them, the things can get missed out. Also, you may want to update the family. You should monitor the patient for the rest of your shift, given that they've been acutely unwell, and hand over to the next team so that they are aware of what's happened, what you've done, and they can chase any outstanding results. If we are thinking that this is a PE based on the sharp chest pain, in a, in a hypoxic patient who's had a left knee replacement three days ago and has a high well score, for which we've requested the CTPA for, then ensure that the patient is stable with your A2E assessment, give them analgesia, high oxygen if they're hypoxic, treatment dose and oxaparin, but you can discuss with your senior if you're unsure, and call the on-call radiologist to get the scan vetted and get the patient down for the scan as soon as possible. You can listen to our separate episode on how to request scans for patients and how to get them done in a timely manner. Chase that CTPA result or hand over to the next team to do so. If it seems more like a pneumothorax based on the sudden onset dyspnea with a background of COPD, reduced air entry and hyperresonance on percussion, then make sure that the patient is stable with your A2E. If the pneumothorax is causing hemodynamic compromise then put out a periarrest call because it could be a tension pneumothorax which will need some emergency needle aspiration. If it's not causing hemodynamic compromise and the patient's relatively stable then try to get them down for a chest x-ray as soon as possible. If they are too unwell to go down to the department you can get a portable one done but the downside is that the image quality isn't as good. Give them analgesia, oxygen if they're hypoxic, ask your senior for advice and you may want to get them to come and review the patient urgently. The management of the pneumothorax will depend on whether it's primary or secondary, the size, and whether it's causing symptoms. And I'll trust you to go back to that wonderful, colourful flowchart provided by the British Thoracic Society, which explains all of this. 
If the patient sounds like they're drowning and pulmonary edema is suspected, they'll need high flow oxygen if they're hypoxic in the acute setting, intravenous diuretics such as furosemide to offload the excess fluid, fluid restriction and catheterization to monitor their fluid balance strictly, and also early senior input and review. A chest x-ray would help to assess the severity of the edema with comparisons to previous x-rays always helpful. An ABG may show that the patient is in type 1 respiratory failure. And you can listen to our separate episode on how to assess and manage a patient with acute pulmonary edema in more detail. If based on the sudden onset tearing intrascapular pain with pulse disparities in both arms, the patient seems to have aortic dissection, they can become hypotensive and so they will need urgent fluid resuscitation, high flow oxygen if they're hypoxic, intravenous analgesia, they may need to be cross-matched and transfused. Patients with aortic dissection may also become hypertensive and the aim in this situation is to maintain the systolic blood pressure below 100 millimeters mercury. But obviously early discussions with your seniors is paramount and they need to come and review the patient. The patient may need a CT angiogram and possible surgical intervention depending on where the dissection is. An esophageal rupture will present with sudden onset retrosternal chest pain, respiratory distress and also possibly subcutaneous emphysema which is trapped air underneath the skin. A chest x-ray may show pneumomediastinum or intrathoracic air fluid levels. This case may need urgent surgical intervention and so you must discuss with your senior and refer to the surgical team. So those are some of the most worrying causes of chest pain that you should be aware about. Other ones that you may come across may include pericarditis, which we've spoken about. So there's a saddle-shaped widespread ST elevation and raised inflammatory markers such as CRP or ESR. This is usually managed with reassurance, analgesia, so NSAIDs such as ibuprofen. And pneumonia may cause pleuritic chest pain, which, depending on the CURB65 score, may require IV antibiotics and other things like IV fluids and oxygen. You must remember that it's okay to be unsure. The worst thing that you can do is not escalate or call for help. Especially in the early days of F1, this should always be done for patients who are acutely unwell and for whom you need help and advice. A lot of the time, things may not present as they do in textbooks. So I recall a time where I was called to see a patient with chest pain and their ECG was showing some possible ST elevation compared with the previous one. However, I couldn't say for sure whether it was enough to fit the, di- the diagnostic criteria for a STEMI because the quality of the ECG wasn't great. This is- incident happened at 9pm, which is when I was meant to go and hand over to the night team. I was staring at the ECG for a good few minutes, trying to work out whether the ST elevation was significant, and I tried to contact my senior, however they were busy in handover. So in the end, I asked the nurse to repeat the ECG to send off a troponin sample, and then I went to handover and asked the night team to review the patient urgently. It's not always clear-cut, and as long as you get a second opinion, you should be fine. Sometimes the troponin level comes back elevated, however it's in the grey zone, so it's not possible to confirm that the patient has ACS, however it, may, it can't be ruled out. And this is where serial troponins are essential to see the trends. If you are unsure about an investigation that you've asked for, such as an ECG or a chest x-ray, then you should ask a senior to have a look and offer their opinion. So thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found it useful. We'd really appreciate if you could fill out the feedback form, which is in the episode bio. Please share this with your peers and your friends. Subscribe to our channels for more episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram, which is at medtalks.uk and Facebook by just searching medtalks. Here you can ask us any questions you'd like and tell us what other topics you'd like us to cover. 
see you in the next one goodbye